thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is That Paleo Show with your hosts, Stephanie Wozalik, Dr. Yana James, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Stephanie Waslick. I'm Dr. Yana James. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. Um, recently, we were interviewed by Green Lifestyle Magazine, and the topic of that interview was sustainability of paleo. And that really got us all thinking. We did some research on it. And honestly, this is a topic that I just love. So I'm really excited today to be talking about the sustainability of paleo. Yeah, definitely. It's one I'm pretty passionate about as well, because it since... Changing to paleo, my way of looking at the environment has completely changed. In fact, it changed before I went paleo, but doing the paleo has just made me even more passionate about looking after our environment. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one too. But I've got to say off the bat, I'm gutted that Steph has changed her intro to take out the word about. Because I, I know that. I said it later just for you. I know that I, know, I always look forward to that. And I know that our fans do too. They all love that Canadian accent. So got to keep that one in there, I reckon. But now this is a really important topic. And it's such a misconception about paleo, I reckon. We've, we've just had this idea of being taught. I think I know I was taught at school that it was like, oh, eating meat, it's all bad for the environment. And you have to be vegetarian if you want to be good for the environment. Or you have to be vegan or you know whatever it happens to be. But... You know, a lot of the stuff coming out now and a lot of the evidence there is pointing to the fact that, you know, well, the fact that the environment was originally had plants and animals in it. You know, isn't that a strange idea? Um, and that actually by having plants and animals in the environment, that can actually be more sustainable. So I'm looking forward to getting in and talking about that a bit more. Yeah. So maybe we should just start by defining the word sustainable. What, yeah. How do you guys picture that? Well, I, I just look at the Earth or the planet as an ecosystem. And, and once again, it just fits in so perfectly with my the whole paleo perspective, right? But it's it's basically the idea that the, the, the planet evolved over millions and billions of years, right, to be this perfectly harmonious, you know, homeostatic environment, okay? And when you look at these beautiful environments, you realise that, um, that they don't actually need any help to remain beautiful and to remain perfect and in perfect harmony. They just need no interference. And so for me, sustainability is about working out how... We can maintain our lives uh, whilst having the little, the, the smallest amount of impact on the environment. Like, as in, how how can we have the smallest? How can we do the least amount of change to the environment? How can we keep it as close as possible to the way that it originally was? Right? Because at the end of the day, I think so often we think that we can do better, you know. And it's just the height of arrogance to come in and think that we can do better, that we can make the environment better, that we can make the planet better. Whereas in reality, sustainability is really about just getting out of the way and letting nature take care of itself, I think. Yeah, I think that's perfect, Brett. In my head, it's about making the, the smallest footprint on the planet that you can. And, you know, it just makes, to me, it makes perfect sense when you look at what paleo is all about. Is It's about eating the way that our ancestors did and, and the way that humans have for millennia. What... It makes sense that that is going to be the most sustainable for the planet, exactly as Brett just said, because that's what the planet has evolved to have on it. So if we go changing that and interrupting what we eat as humans, not only do we get sick, but we make the planet sick as well because it's not it, it hasn't self-created fields of grains that grow with you know masses of pesticides and and nitrogen fertilizer and all that sort of thing it's it's not the way that the planet has evolved and neither is it the way that our digestive tracts have evolved that's exactly right like if, if the planet needed um you know chemically based fertilizers it would have evolved with them it would that's have right. created them and it didn't yeah that's right 
Yeah, but I think we need to start this episode by saying that none of us hunt our food, <laughs> and we don't live in caves, and, you know, we do have yeah. small-ish gardens. We aren't farmers. We're not farmers, <laughs> but I think... That said, most of the listeners are in the same boat as us, and we're not saying to just, you know, quit your job and go hunt for a living. Live in a commune. Yeah. And if <laughs> I you so want to do, do that, I so want to live in a commune. And Brett wants to live on yeah. a deserted island. But, like, honestly, we're not saying to do that, but we're just trying to, like, like Brett and Yana both said, like, look at it with the least amount of impact possible. Yeah, and the way I look at it is I, I have other things that I love doing that I'm good at and that's what I focus my energy in as my career and as my passion and therefore I outsource to people who are passionate about being excellent farmers and that's where I get my meat from because I know that they're doing it in a sustainable environmentally friendly humane way and it frees me up to not have to spend my time growing cows and chickens and lamb and I can focus on adjusting and sharing this information with the the listeners and with the world. Yeah and I guess that's the point isn't it because like there'll be people out there sort of saying well look you're not farmers like you don't understand the practicalities of growing animals or doing you know whatever and and that's true like we have no idea I have no idea how to raise a cow. You had chickens though. I had chickens yeah I did have chickens they were pretty easy (laughs) but but you know I have no idea how to actually raise a cow right uh, but what i do know is that there are people out there in the on this planet who are doing it i think amazingly well like you look at the stuff that for example joel Salatin's doing mm-hmm. you know, it's incredible like you just look at his whole philosophy around how he does what he does and why he does what he does and the results he gets and the the health benefits of the foods that he creates and you think okay that's awesome and that's the way it should be done and, and if he can do it then there's no reason why others can't do it too and I know this maybe sounds terrible, but really, can we make it worse? Like, if we're... (laughs) It's pretty bad. Like, the the straits are pretty bad right now. And I think that, you know, a lot of people advocate the extremes of just not eating meat at all. But I think as long as we can do it better, and and we're going to possibly argue today that it it is actually quite good to eat meat... um, that I think as long as we can do it better, that's still a positive contribution. Yeah, and this is one thing that I do get a little bit intrigued on. Um, And look, I love vegetarians. I have lots of friends who are vegetarians. And I think at the base of it, we all agree on the same thing. And that is that the way that we are farming this world is not good Mm. for the animals or for for the environment. Um, But what I find always interesting is that it seems to me my experience has been for the vegetarians who are doing it for humanitarian reasons and the fact that it's cruel to you know to put animals in cages and so on. I 100% agree with them on that. Um, but they sort of the the people I've spoken to have this opinion or feeling that um, killing any animal is not good, um, and yet they eat grains. And to grow grains on the mass market, uh, the mass production system that we have to have to grow grains to feed people because they're so um, short burst energy. It means that we have to grow massive fields full of grains, which no doubt would have had critters living on them before we cleared them to then go and plant the seeds. But apart from that, most grains have massive uses of pesticides, which means that 
insects are going to die and that rats and mice are going to die. And, and it, to me, and the birds them. who eat them and the butterflies and the bees, there's a huge issue with bee die-off at the moment. And so to me, it's like, well, does it, is it just the animals that have fur and cute eyes that matter or is it all of the animals? And to me, it's all of the animals that matter and that's why I, I source meat that is grown on green pastures where they're not using pesticides on the field, where they're not stacking up grains in, in um, warehouses that then have to have rat bait put all around them for the mice plagues that come to eat all this grain. And it just, to me, it just doesn't, it, it, something doesn't add up there. And I think, like we've said many times, sticking to what the planet has had is going to have the best outcomes for everyone. And look, you know, humanity in, in um, killing animals, if we go back to hunter-gatherers, shooting them with an arrow and then chasing after them while they're in pain with an arrow in their sight, that's not very thats not very pleasant. The way that we do actually slaughter animals now has to be a lot more pleasant than that. And, and nor is being mauled by a tiger or, you know, <laughs> caught right. by a cheetah. But we don't look at the tiger and go, aren't you terrible? Like, how dare you kill someone? Mm. You know, well, we kind of do, don't we? Do we do that with sharks and go well, on, like, we're going to yeah. go and kill well, all the sharks people. now? Yeah, we're... but not when they kill something else. Yeah, that's right. right. Like, yeah. And so we, we, look at other, we look at a tiger catching a deer and go, well, that's just natural. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's perfectly normal. And actually, we look at it and go, it's actually necessary because, you know, if the tiger didn't kill the gear, deer, then there'd be too many deer and then the deer would eat too much of the grass and it would actually be bad for the environment right like we understand that there's actually a perfect balance in our environment everything is there in the way it's supposed to be because it's supposed to be there and actually animals dying is actually a really important part of sustainability as in if, if that's not happening then things are going to get out of balance you're going to lose homeostasis in our environment and it's actually not going to be sustainable so the concept that no animals should ever die doesn't actually make sense from a sustainability perspective. Mm. Yeah, and uh, look, we also recognize that the population is, like, way bigger than it used to be. That's fair, and we know that um, herds are way smaller than they used to be. Uh, But one thing that I, I really believe is that even though I'm passionate about paleo and that it would make people healthier... I'm under no disillusion that the whole world is all of a sudden going to be paleo either. Like, that's just not going to happen. We're looking at pretty small populations, hopefully larger populations of people going paleo, but it's just not going to happen across the entire world either. So, you know, when you're looking at is paleo sustainable, I think that's part of the factor as well. The, the whole population doesn't eat meat. Yeah, but I think you need to look at the possibility of well, what would happen if everyone did this, right? Because certainly, you know, we're suggesting that that's possible and maybe that's a good thing. And so you need to then consider, okay, what would happen from a sustainability sustainability perspective if that was the end result and we're not talking about necessarily next year we might not be talking about in 100 years we might not be talking about in a thousand years but eventually if this was going to happen what would it look like and and i don't think that there's any reason why the the population can't be fed i mean we did an interview on the wellness guys with alan savore who was awesome and uh, and he spoke about how you know how much of the world's land actually isn't suitable for growing crops Uh, it's actually only really suitable for animals um, and how how important that is and he also spoke about how they're actually able to, when you do it right, have a lot more animals in a small space um, by circling your crops, uh, sorry, circling your animals and, and, and using these very specific techniques, which are, which are fascinating, which incidentally are actually mimicking what nature did with their massive herds of buffalo and the like. Um, you know, he's been able to show that by, by doing it in a certain way, a more sustainable way, a more environmentally friendly way, that you're actually able to have, to grow more animals and produce more food in a smaller area. Um, so, 
you know, and having said that, I, I also think that we do need to start thinking about our population. I mean, I think the concept that we can just continually grow our population endlessly, uh, which economists seem to think is a good idea because it means the economy always continues to grow. Um, but, you know, if we were to look from the outside in at the human, at, the, at Earth, uh, if we were to look at any other population in, in the proportions that humans are growing, the proportions that humans are, we'd say that it's a plague. There's no doubt about that. We'd say that's plague proportions. And, and we know that when there's plague proportions that that's not sustainable either. So I think at some stage we have to look at the population as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's interesting and I could be opening a huge ethical Pandora's box here. Um, but the fertility rates, the natural fertility rates in humans without um, medical intervention are abysmal and we should be dying out except that we have all of these other interventions that allow us to fall pregnant when our bodies are saying no it's not possible so you know it, it, it's again it's an indication of our interference with the system that's allowing things to get out of control and become incredibly unhealthy mm-hmm. um, like I said it's probably in a Pandora's box and if I found out that I was not able to to fall pregnant I probably would have IVF even if it's not what I think is, is natural and, and good but um, th- again, like, yeah, I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably right, going gonna, right off topic. Let's go back to we're gonna loop this back and let's yep. talk Thank about you. let's talk about eating animals. Let's talk about maybe the mm. differences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, I mean, let's talk about the differences and why uh, the way that we like to to have our animals raised is different from factory farming. So. For uh, the obvious reason is quality of life of the animal. Obviously, mm-hmm. that an animal who's living in a pasture, who might even be living in a herd, like uh, well, kangaroos don't herd, but I mean, actually wild. Do, do kangaroos herd a little bit? Yeah, they're, they're a pack animal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know oh. what, call, what do you call a group of kangaroos? I actually don't know. Anyway, someone someone will look that up a and let us know on our Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, so we're looking at some of the animals that we eat are still wild, and the reason we eat kangaroo in Australia is because it is still a pest, and the population, like Brett said, is in need of control supposedly. So uh, there are those those options where the animal is totally in its environment its entire life until it's you know killed and we eat it. Yep. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, like, they are so much happier because they're so much healthier because they're eating what they're designed to be eaten. You know, when you look at cows eating grass, grass versus cows eating grains, you know, you know that they don't have the same degree of bloating, they don't have the same degree of infections, they don't have probably the same degree of moodiness. Like, we know that happens, Stress, with, yeah, absolutely. We know that happens with humans, it probably happens with animals too. Mm. Um, so they're, they're definitely living a better quality of life. Yeah, they're requiring a lot less intervention as well. And when cattle have grains, it makes their stomach incredibly um, acidic, which allows the growth of a lot of parasites and Mm. and bacteria that they don't normally have. So they're sick, they're then medicated, and then we get the uh, flow-on effects of that if we're eating meat from farm sources. I won't mention any names of certain (laughs) places you can buy that. But, I mean, then there's also, if you are grain feeding or corn or soy feeding or cardboard yeah. cardboard feeding oh, these yeah. animals. Um, or feeding them other animals of the same oh, species. Yeah, fair nice. enough. Well, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> but 
where are those crops coming from? Because then, like Yana said before, we've destroyed acres and acres and acres of land to grow the food for these animals when really, if we just used that land, the cows could be eating. (laughs) Yeah, they could be eating what they were originally designed to eat in the first place, and we could still let all the other animals thrive around them. Yeah, definitely. And when we talk, you talk about um, water usage in, in, you know, how much water goes into making a kilo of meat. If you're watering crops to grow to feed the cattle, of course that's going to require an inordinate amount of water. But if you're just letting them eat what is growing on the land naturally from natural rainfall, completely different story. Yeah. Well, look at the kangaroo example, right? The yeah. kangaroo's just hopping out around the outback, and you're not using any additional water to actually feed them, right? Yeah. They're, just, they're just eating what naturally grows in the environment. Uh, so there's no additional requirement for water or for pesticides or for drugs or for any of those things. And um, if you eat lamb in Australia, they have saltbush lamb. Yeah. And it's, so it's eating this like salty bush. It's literally pre-seasoned. It's <laughs> so good. And that is literally in the Australian outback where nothing else lives, where nothing else except like kangaroos and dingoes and camels live. Lizards. And li- Yeah, well, yeah, so things live. But it's... It's acres and acres of free-range lamb where the land land wouldn't be used for anything else except maybe housing, but you probably wouldn't have a water supply to for for housing there. Um, so to me, that that is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and once again, it's a perfect example of a a space of land that's just not appropriate for growing crops. So you can't you can't grow vegetarian food in the centre of Australia. Like that's just not going to happen unless you're pumping water and you know God knows what else. Like you can't grow vegetarian food in a sustainable way in the centre of Australia, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. And not to mention, I actually think, so even if, even if you do eat, you know, un, I'm quoting here, unprocessed vegetables from these farms that are being, you know, sprayed with pesticides, I actually see that as a processed food because you've had to put a ton of processing into the pesticides and into like spreading the pesticides and all of that. You... To me, processing involves factories, and that's where the pesticides come from. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's very true. And talking about pesticides, you know, I, I do rabbit on about my farmers' markets that I absolutely adore. Um, but that, when we're talking about farmers' markets, markets, that's keeping it local, which again is a sustainability and an um, ecology. Mm. Uh, it, environmentally friendly way of eating because it means that you're not paying for the petrol to ship this food across the country it's come from literally within i think the showground farmers markets is within 50 or 100 kilometers of adelaide um it's extremely small footprint as far as um carbon emissions go and as far as petrol consumption goes um and that just again i i didn't i wasn't as passionate about um being a patriot until I moved to Adelaide and that made me sort of go, oh, South Aussies, yeah, go to the, the uh, food land, South Aussies. And, and then moving to the farmer's markets and going, you know what, if it comes, even if it's from within Australia and it's not in my state, I don't tend to buy it now, which is kind of fascinating. You, you should know by now, Yana, if you're going to praise South Australia, you have to say it's heaps good. Oh, yes. He's good. He's good. No one else is going to get that. No. I, I still don't. All the South Aussies who listen are going to get it. And they love it. <laughs> Everybody else is going to go, these South Aussies are weird. But to, to, you know, to bring this to a Canadian perspective here, it, we are in extreme luxury in Australia, at least in South Australia. I can grow things in my backyard year-round, and that's amazing. And the same goes for the animals. They can eat, they can be pasture-raised year-round. And I know we say, oh, yeah, we can feed you know, winter animals, hay and stuff, but then you end up with the same problem as growing grains and, and whatever. You still have to grow the crop of hay for your 
animals to eat. And I almost see that then maybe as does, does even the meat become seasonal? And we're going to do a whole episode on seasonality. But I mean, with freezers now, do you just buy all the meat you want, put it in your freezer, and when it runs out, you wait until the next grass-fed season? I'm not really sure. I don't know the best way to approach that. But, um, you know, it's not... In Canada, I wouldn't want to compromise eating grain-fed meat in the winter. So where are you sourcing it? Is it being shipped? Like, I don't I'd really know. I'd just get a massive deep freezer, I reckon, and just, just well, fill it up. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, if you've got a big double deep freezer, that's going to last you a mm-hmm. fair while, unless you've got, like, a massive family. But I do definitely think the in-season thing is, is really important as well because I think it's just a great way to make sure that the food you've, you're eating does have a smaller carbon footprint. It is local, which is going to make it much more sustainable. But it also ensures that you're getting a really good variety of food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it ensures that, you know, the different foods, when they're in season, you're eating all different things. You're not just sort of getting stuck in a rut eating the same thing over and over again. And, you know, this is always the ironic thing, I think, when people talk to me about going to paleo is people go, oh, but it's like it's so limiting. You know, I can't eat this, I can't eat that. But then you talk to them about what they actually eat every single day and it's like they just eat the same thing every day for like breakfast, lunch and dinner. And it's the most limited diet you've ever seen. But in their head, it's like that's the free diet and paleo is the limited diet. When actually if you put our two, like what I eat and what they eat side by side, you'd see an incredible amount more variety in what I eat because I eat different stuff for breakfast every day rather than just the same bowl of cereal. I eat different stuff for lunch every day rather than just the same sandwich. There's an incredible amount more variety in the paleo diet and particularly by doing it seasonally than you're ever going to get just eating the standard Australian or American diet. Yeah, and that's one of the things I love about the showground farmers markets is that it's that seasonal thing. I get excited when I see things come in that I haven't seen all year. It's like, woohoo, we've got some, like this week it's purple broccoli, which I just love. It's so cool. Yeah. We are going to do a whole episode on purple broccoli. <laughs> This geometric broccoli, which is really cool. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's um, Romanesco. Romanesco. I had it this week. Right. There's cool. a recipe from Practical Paleo Ooh. that's just lemon and sea salt baked in the oven. Ryan made it for me. So good. Yeah. Back to topic. <laughs> um, now, another thing about eating, you know, pasture-raised meat is that it's more filling. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and organic meat's the same as well. You know, it's one of those things, I'd love to do a study on it and see this, because it's one of the things that I hear so often from people, um, I guess, sort of empirically, where they notice this when they swap to organic foods or they swap to grass-fed foods, that it is just more filling. And I've never seen a study that's actually done the comparison and checked it, so I'd love to get someone to do that, because I reckon it'd be fascinating. But, But certainly my experience and the experience of basically everyone I've spoken to is the same, that they do say that when they're doing organic and they're doing grass-fed, that it's just more filling. And I, I think that comes back to a nutrient density thing. You know, we spoke to Sally Fallon actually just recently on The Wellness Guys about, about nutrient density. Um, and so it comes back to, I think, when, you're, when they're eating, when the animals are eating what they're supposed to be eating, and when they're doing that, they're actually getting a much wider variety of nutrients. Um, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, what we feed animals, when we, when we feed our animals and when we fertilize our crops, you know, very often the fertilizer only contains a few very specific nutrients that we think is what we know is what the plant needs to grow. But it's not necessarily giving the plant nutrient density. When we then feed that to our animals, then there's a potential for our animals not to be getting the full nutrient density that they need. Or if we're actually giving them food that only contains a few specific nutrients, then the animals actually aren't very nutrient dense. And that ends up meaning that they're not 
filling for us, I think, because we're not getting the full array of nutrients we should be getting. Well, it's because your body is looking for the rest of the food, mm. right? So yeah. your body knows that you should be getting this spectrum of things when you eat something. Uh, and so when you, when you have like orange juice, right? Wouldn't I think your body's looking for the rest of the orange? Where's the fiber? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So you're it's eating, looking eating, for the rest eating, of it. Eating. Exactly. So it doesn't fill that, you yeah. up. Mm, that's yeah. right. But speaking of filling you up, <laughs> fat. <laughs> yeah, definitely fat. And it, look, um, I suppose the way I look at fat is eating the whole animal. I never buy meat without skin on anymore. And it, whenever I get a half a cow, I always tell them, please leave as much fat on as you possibly can. And they sort of look at me strange, like really you want fat same goes for our pork and and yeah I, I i used to be i used to love chicken breast now i totally am not interested in it at all i love the thigh because it's got so much more fat in it it's full of flavor and like i said skin on but not just eating um you know cuts that we know of i when we bought a half a cow that was really interesting for me to work out how to cook other cuts um, and something that I was pretty passionate about because I had come from a system of just buying the cuts that I knew, which means that an entire rest of the beast is going to waste or, you know, maybe not going to waste, maybe using being used in other ways. But I was one of the people that was contributing to the fact that there were parts of the animal that were being sacrificed. And, you know, in, in my head, it is – I do always make um, – uh, note and, and give thanks to the animal for sacrificing its life so that I can eat and it just didn't seem right to me to continually eat the same cut of meat um, without taking into account the rest of the cow so we eat you know all of the cuts as well as brains and liver and I haven't done tripe yet I must get a recipe for haggis or something like that and try it I don't know whether I can do it but it's certainly something I'm I'm very passionate about one of my favorite things um, is pork cheeks from the San Jose at the markets, which is really... That leads me perfectly mm. into my beef cheek story, ah. which is what's in my slow cooker right now. So nice. I had it. I had beef cheeks last night for dinner for the first time, which is really interesting. And I think the other reason that it's so satiating is, you know, you slow cook the, the cheeks, which are pretty muscly because they're literally what the cows use to chew with. Um, and uh, and all of the, the, the inter bits turn into like gelatin and then it melts into your gravy and then you're eating that as well which is really probably the most filling part is all of that but my favorite thing to make is bone broth so yeah. the bits that usually get thrown out I mean there's no comparison between homemade bone broth especially for satiety mm -hmm. versus store-bought stuff like no question mm -hmm. asked I can be full off a bowl of like just vegetable soup made with beef broth like you could never imagine like full and sweating because you're just so warm and full of all of the the, the energy. energy. <laughs> mm. mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to come over for a bone broth yeah. day. Sounds good. I'm, I have not succeeded in that one yet. Well, it's good. Yana drives me home from the market, so when I have all these like really heavy bags of bones, because <laughs> I'm afraid that I can get them home. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, eating the whole animal is really important, which surprises me that you don't eat chicken breasts now. Well, I'm sure you oh, still eat them. I do still eat them. Yes, that's a good point. But I figure there's enough people that only eat chicken breasts to make up for <laughs> me ordering, buying all of their thigh. But chicken breasts taste so much better when you cook them on the bone with the skin on. Yes. Because you get all the nutrition from the bones, you that's get the right. fat from the skin, and it's delicious. 
Yeah. Nice. I haven't thought about the fact that I said I don't eat that anymore. That's interesting. It's usually run out by the time I get to the chicken guy anyway. So and who doesn't like pate, really? <laughs> that's an offcut. Yeah. That's it's, livers. Absolutely. I bought some livers at the market this week to make homemade pate. And if you're on a budget, chicken wings and turkey wings, cheapest thing around, so full of fat, and that's why they're cheap, because people mm. don't want them. But, oh my gosh, slow cook them. Wow. They're amazing. Slow so I think we've changed the sustainability <laughs> here to salivating. Um, I, yeah, I hope that we still got our message across <laughs> in all of that. Uh, the moral of the story is I think that we are not the devil and that, um, honestly, when people think of paleo, people who aren't, you know, the listeners to this show, think of paleo, all they think of is holding a big turkey leg and eating only meat. And I think that we've dispelled that myth through the, what, 30 some odd episodes yeah. that we've done so far. Obviously, the three of us don't just eat meat. And quite frankly, even if we did eat just meat like the Inuits or whatever, I think we'd it'd still be sustainable when done properly. But realistically, that's not what we're doing. No. Yeah. And I think the uh, one quick other thing that I want to add um, that I forgot to mention more before is that quite often when you're paleo eating organic, that means that your food isn't packaged anywhere near as much. So you're yeah. cutting down on using plastics, which have to come out of our ground somewhere. Um, I love this picture of a plastic dinosaur, which someone was like, oh my God, it's made from real dinosaur. Because obviously plastic is a derivative of petroleum, which comes from old dinosaurs. So anyway, um, anyway, totally off topic again. Um, But when things aren't packaged, that obviously makes them more sustainable as well because you're not wasting all of this stuff. Not not to mention the fact that it's not only not packaged, it's not processed, right? So it's not having to get transported to a factory so that it can be processed so that other stuff that's been produced in another factory can be added into it like that whole process takes away from the sustainability of our food so we're definitely avoiding that too Mm. yeah Uh, and i just want to point you guys in the direction of a couple different resources because one book that i'm eagerly anticipating and i haven't seen a release date uh but is called eat paleo save the world by karen pendergrass i really hope that book's coming out soon Mm. like i said i don't know when it's being released but I'm, I'm really eager to hear that one, or to, to, to read that one. Mm. And another really great source is Rob Wolf did a massive blog post on sustainability and um, economics of paleo. I think it's absolutely fascinating. I've read that article a few times, so I highly recommend going to check that out. And we mentioned Alan Savore already. He's got a fantastic TED Talk, so that's just TED.com to find him. And finally, honestly, the the guy who's spearheading all of it is Joel Saladin. So definitely look him up. He's got tons of books and some really cool ideas. Uh, we didn't get a lot of time to talk about him today, but he's even been trying to get his local community to give in all their kitchen, like vegetable kitchen scraps so that he can feed his animals with that, even furthering the sustainability of the whole thing. Very cool. So his surname is spelled S A L A T I N. And first time I saw him was on a movie called uh, food Inc, Mm. which is one of my favorite um, documentary movies of all time. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, to end off this episode, we have a really cool surprise. We have an event coming up in Adelaide. So if you like our podcast, this would be the perfect opportunity to come and meet us if you didn't meet us at the Wellness Summit. Come to Adelaide. Come see the market Tiana keeps talking about. Come for a trip. It'd be awesome. See where the magic happens. If there's enough demand, we can maybe do a tour of my kitchen, which is where we record the episode. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, it's not a museum. Um, I would probably not do that, actually. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Anyways, our, we're going to be doing a three-hour seminar on October 19th here in Adelaide from 9 until noon. And it's going to be called How to Eat, Think, and Move Like a Caveman. Which so exciting. we're really excited about. Yeah. Uh, so please do come along to that. It's going to be awesome. Um, our tickets will be sold on www.thatpaleoshow.com. Which is our new website, yeah. which we're super excited about. So even if you're not coming, make sure you go check out our new website because we're pretty pumped about that too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you guys have anything to add about that? No, it's going to be super exciting, so make sure you come along. It's it's our first live event as That Paleo Show, um, and so, you know, we saw at the Wellness Summit we just did that there were people from all over Australia and even all over the world, New Zealanders and everything there, and a lot of those were paleo people who I reckon would love this talk and get a lot out of it, so, um, you know... Start your uh, start your hike now and come down to Adelaide caveman style and uh, and we can't wait to see you there. Bring your friends and family and have someone else share what you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so we're really looking forward to that. We'll have some workshops and things during that morning, and you won't miss the footy. Yeah, and I tell you, it's, it's a great point that Yana makes because so often with your friends and family. They won't listen to you, but they'll listen to someone else if you bring them along. Yeah. Um, so it's really nice to have sort of a third party and an expert presenting the information, which can be really helpful for your friends and family. And, and once again, we had a lot of comments about that from the Wellness Summit as well. So, um, yeah, get along. It's going to be a great day. Woo-hoo. Awesome. Well, guys, so let us know if you have any more questions about sustainability of paleo, about our talk coming up, or about cave camp. Uh, And visit us on Facebook, share your story, and help to grow the paleo tribe worldwide. That was three abouts. That was awesome. (laughs) Is that an outtake? Yeah. Leave it there. Seriously. Bye, guys. I forgot to mention Claire Yates and insect eating. Damn. Hi, Brett Hill from That Paleo Show and The Wellness Guys here. Well, the Facebook buzz after the Wellness Summit has just been unbelievable. Deborah said the summit was inspiring and empowering. Jen Fellows said she learnt so much amazing information that she thought her brain was going to explode. Well, hold on to your hat, because if you miss the summit, guess what? We recorded the entire lot so that you can have the summit in your living room forever. So to order the Wellness Summit 10 DVD home study program for just 197 bucks, simply go to www.thewellnesscouch.com and click on Shop. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts. And help to grow the paleo tribe worldwide. That was three abouts. That was awesome. <laughs> Is that an outtake? <laughs> yeah. Leave it there. Seriously. Bye, guys. <laughs> I forgot to mention Claire Yates and insect eating. Damn.